Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. So, um, for those who don't uh, didn't know, tonight uh, is a bit of a special service. Um, it's an ordination service. And... Um, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to bear with me because I'm going to be sharing from Second uh, Timothy, but um, I'm basically mostly going to be sharing with Stefan and Lauren, uh, but everything I share with them applies to all of us, okay? So um, I'm going to be reading quite a few scriptures. I'm, not, I'm going to try and say, not say too much about them. Um, but, but just let the scriptures speak for themselves and here and there say a few things, highlight a few things from the scriptures. And I, I hope it, um, it blesses you. And uh, I just want to start with, <clears throat> maybe I, I can say this. Um, First and Second Timothy were letters that Paul wrote to his disciple, Timothy. Um, and the one, one of the guys that he basically handed the baton over to. And two of his last letters that he wrote. And they are letters of ordination in which he gives a charge to Timothy to, to pastor the flock and uh, to lead the church. And so they're very appropriate tonight. And um, I want to encourage all of you, go, go home this, this week and go and read them for yourselves because they're really powerful letters, very personal letters, but very powerful letters uh, that we can all learn a lot from, especially Stefan and Lauren. I want to encourage you, go and, go and read them at home. Um, I'm just going to be reading quite a few portions from them, but i uh, go and read them in their entirety and uh, be blessed by them. So the first scripture I just want to um, read is 1 Timothy 4 from verse 6 to 16, and most of what I'm going to be s- saying is, is summed up in verse 16. It says, um, it should be up there on the screen, there we go. If you put these things before the brothers, uh, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith, and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value for in, uh, in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is, the saying is, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this we... T- To this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you uh, for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by, the pro- by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And um, to me that, that last verse sort of summarizes something that Paul sort of, a few things that Paul sort of jumps between uh, during that whole passage. And um, 
I just want to summarize it with, with three, three words. Message, messenger, and multiply. Okay, it talks about a message. Uh, uh, pay close attention or keep close watch uh, on your teaching, messenger. Keep close watch on yourself. And then he talks about the audience, the hearers. By, by doing so, you uh, persist in this because uh, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And um, I, I just want to share s- some thoughts around those things because those things basically, to me, exemplify what we are called to do as ministers of, of Jesus Christ. Shofar is all about reaching nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. And um, if I had to summarize that or, or shorten that, I'd say we want to make disciple-makers. We want to make disciple-makers. Uh, and this, this is how you do it. Um, by receiving a message, by becoming the messenger, and by through that, seeing multiplication happen. So, it, it says there, keep a close watch on yourself, and in the ESV is a very literal translation, it says the teaching. So, what is, what is that of the teaching that the ESV talks about? And uh, I believe Paul talks about it elsewhere. He's not just, just talking about any teaching, he's talking about the teaching. Um, and I just want to read a, a portion from Second Timothy 1. I'm going to read verse 1 to 14. Sorry, the 6 to 14. And it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So it starts with the gift of God, who is the Holy Spirit, the ultimate gift of God. And it says in verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy, uh, to a holy calling. Some other translations say to a holy life. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day uh, what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, God, the good deposit entrusted to you. And just a few things I want to highlight there. Um, the teaching that Paul talks about is the gospel, of course. And, and, and notice what he says there about the gospel. I just want to highlight a few things here because I think this is very powerful. He says, the gospel, first and foremost, is a testimony. And he refers to it in verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So it's a testimony about our Lord. Okay? It's a testimony about our Lord. The gospel is, the content of the gospel is Jesus. I love that song uh, uh, that we sang, you know, um, you know, about his name is Jesus. And it's all about him. The gospel, the content of the gospel is not, 
it's not good advice about what we must do to be saved. It's good news about what Jesus has done to save us. Okay? It's a testimony about Jesus that has implications for us. But it's about Him, first and foremost. And, and you can see sort of the, the, the parallel way in which he uses that, that when he talks about the testimony about our Lord, he goes on to say, uh, nor of me is prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So it refers to the testimony about our Lord as the gospel, the good news. Okay, so it's a testimony about the Lord, and it's a testimony, it's, it's good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's good news about what He has done. Not what, about what we must do to save ourselves, but about what He has done to save us. And then it also goes on later on to say, uh, let me just see here in verse 10, it says, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished death, he overcame death, and he brought not only life, but immortality to light what, through the gospel. What does that mean? That means that it's, a, it's, it's not only the testimony about Jesus, but it's a testimony about Jesus' victory over sin and death. And it's the testimony of how he abolished death by first dying and then basically overcoming death in the grave and, uh, and, and, and bringing life, being resurrected. In other words, he brought life to light. But he doesn't just say he brought life to light. He says he brought life and immortality. So he didn't just show us his victory over death, but he extended that victory to us. He didn't just show us his life after death, but he extended that life to us through the gospel so that we can also now have immortality, like he has. And that's the good news. And, and boy, is that good news. <laughs> because there's only one thing that, that, is, you know, that never changes, and that's death and taxes, like they say. <laughs> but um, Jesus has overcome death, and I believe he's overcome taxes as well. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But the gospel, the good news, is not only the testimony about what Jesus has done for us. If you look carefully in that passage, you'll also see, he mentions twice, that it's the good news about what Jesus does in us, about what Jesus is doing in us. Where do I see that? Well, at the beginning and the ending of the passage, where he starts with it, he says in verse 6, uh, for this reason, I remind you to fan into, fl uh, into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us, and then he tells us what the gift is, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Okay? He's talking about the spirit. And then in verse 14, he ends with that. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, God the good deposit entrusted to you. So the gospel I mean, so many churches, you know, uh, it, it annoys me a bit and it, it frustrates me a bit when, when, when so many churches stop the gospel at the cross as though that is the end. And, and when they preach the gospel, when they preach the cross and only the cross and nothing but the cross and nothing after the cross, they think they've preached the gospel. No, they haven't preached the whole gospel. The whole gospel, it includes the cross. By all means, it includes the cross. Nothing else would be possible without the cross. But it's also... The resurrection, it's also the ascension, and it's also the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, the gospel is not just what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It is also what He is doing in us through His Spirit. And that is good news, people. That is really good news. I don't know about you, but I need the Holy Spirit. I mean, even if Jesus had died for me to forgive my sins, but I didn't have the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be able to follow Him. I would just keep sinning against Him. He might have saved me from the penalty of sin, but I would still be subject to the power of sin. But through the Holy Spirit, He works in us. Through the cross, He frees us from the penalty of sin, but through the Holy Spirit in us, He saves us even from the power of sin. The gospel is not just about justification. It's also about sanctification. It's not just about the event of saving us from the penalty of sin. It's about the process of saving us from the power of sin and ultimately saving us from the very presence of sin when He glorifies us with Himself. Um, and, and that testimony, so it's a testimony about the Lord, it's a testimony about what He has done, and it's a testimony about what He is doing in us, but it's also a testimony contained in Scripture. It says in verse 11, uh, let me just see here, verse 11, for which I was appointed a, a preacher, uh, an apostle and a teacher, and we have that preaching, that teaching of the Apostle Paul contained in Scripture. So in other words, it's a testimony contained in Scripture, which Paul wrote down. Um, but not only that, it's also a testimony that's not popular. You see that? He says um, in verse 8, um, Do not be a, a, ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And in, in uh, uh, a later verse, he also says, uh, this is also the reason why I suffer. It's because I'm a, I'm a preacher of the gospel. In other words, to the forces of darkness that have been overcome and whose defeat is proclaimed in the gospel, the gospel is not good news. It's good news to us because it's bad news to the devil. <laughs> and because it's bad news to him, he hates it and he's going to cause us to suffer for it. And if we want to be faithful preachers of the gospel, we're going to have to say, okay, there's shame that the devil wants to bring on us because of our preaching of the gospel. But we're not going to be ashamed. We're going to suffer for the gospel. We're going to be willing to suffer for the gospel by the power of God. So the, the, the gospel is a testimony, but it's also a calling. Um, notice in, where is it, verse 9. Look what he says. He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling or to a holy life. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So the gospel is a calling. The gospel is not just a testimony. It's a calling. It's a, it's a testimony too. It's good news, but that good news contains a calling. It's, a good, it's good news that our sin has been dealt with, but it's a calling, which is part of the good news, that we can therefore now come and be part of God's family and, and part of God's people and be united with God. And, and notice it says it's a calling to salvation and to, a holy, uh, and to a holy life. In other words, it's a calling to salvation to have our sins forgiven, but it's also a calling to a holy life to, for us to have victory over that sin. It's a calling to salvation because the penalty of our sin has been dealt with on the cross, but it's a calling to a holy life because the power of sin is dealt with by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
But notice the order there. It is not a calling to a holy life and salvation. It's calling to salvation and a holy life. If you get that order wrong, you mess everything up. If you get the order wrong, you say, because I obey, I am forgiven and accepted. But if you get the order right, you say, because I'm forgiven and accepted, I obey. And that makes all the difference in the world. That makes the difference between the followers of Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, because we obey, we are forgiven and accepted. But Jesus said through the gospel, and the, the Christians said through the gospel, no, because we are forgiven and accepted, we obey. It's the same two elements, but the different order makes it completely different. <coughs> uh, it's a call to salvation and a holy life. Um, it's a call by grace. Notice it says there, who called us not by works that we, uh, uh, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ uh, Jesus before the ages began. Why did he call us? Because of our works? If we put the works first, the holy life first, we would say, yes, it's because of our works. Because we obey, therefore we called and therefore we accepted and forgiven, etc. But he says, no, it's by, our, it's by, it's by his purpose and grace. And he, he, he specifically says his grace, which he gave to us before the ages began. In other words, you received grace long before you were even capable of earning it. And that's the definition of grace. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You cannot work for it. You cannot say, I'm going to try hard enough and impress God enough so that he's in my debt and so that he's obliged to give me salvation. You cannot. Long before you could possibly earn it, long before you were even a twinkle in your mother and your father's eyes, like they always say, <laughs> or your grandmother, long before the ages even began, that is when God's grace was made available to us. So any idea of trying to earn it by works is impossible. It's a calling to salvation and only life. It's a calling by grace, but it's also a calling from death to life. Like I said, it's not only a calling. Jesus didn't only defeat death, abolish death, and, and bring life to light. He brought life and immortality to light. In other words, he, ca he calls us to share Here's the bad news and the good news. He calls us to share in his death, but also in his life. <laughs> I, I just want to emphasize that point, because it's something the Lord's dealing with me a bit in my understanding of the gospel, is the gospel is not just a calling to life. It's first a calling to death, and then a calling to life. Can I say that a different way? When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just take your sin to the cross. He took you to the cross if you are in Christ. And you cannot have the life without the death, just like Jesus didn't have the resurrection life without the cross death. And, and you see, that's the difference with the you know, prosperity gospel and all kinds of cheap grace gospels, is it says, have the life but not the death. The biblical gospel, I, I, I I just don't see that. What I see is, have the death and you'll also have the life. Share in his death and his suffering and you'll also share in his life and his resurrection. Okay, 
And the gospel is not only a testimony and a calling, but it's also a summary. The gospel, rightly understood, is the Christian theory of everything. You know, these big scientists like uh, Albert Einstein and them were looking for a theory of everything to tie everything together. They still haven't found it. Well, Jesus has, and Paul have already given us the Christian theory of everything. It's called the gospel. Everything about the Christian life actually is summarized in the gospel. It's not. We think of the gospel as the ABC of the Christian life. It's not. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. And that is the teaching that we're supposed to teach. That is the teaching that we're supposed to share. Now, just to give you one example, I often use this example. When Paul confronts Peter about being racist and not eating with the Gentiles anymore, but going over to the kosher table in, in, in Galatians 2 verse 14, he doesn't say, Paul, ah, Peter, you're being a racist, and here are the scriptures that says racism is wrong. I mean, he could have, there are such scriptures, and he could have shared such scriptures, but that's not what he does. What does he say? He says, when I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, I confronted Peter. In other words, there's, the gospel has a line that goes out from it. And the Christian life is walking in line with that truth of the gospel. Walking out the truth of the gospel in every area of life. Um, but it's not enough to preach the gospel. He says, he doesn't only say, take heed to, your, to the teaching. He says, take heed to yourself. In other words, and, and, and here's a, a, a big crux of what I want to share with you, Stefan, and what I want to share with us. We are called not only to preach the gospel, but to participate in the gospel. In other words, the gospel is something you live out. The gospel is so great and so powerful that you cannot just preach it with your mouth. You've got to preach it with your life. But it's so great and powerful that you cannot preach it with your life. You've got to preach it with the community's life. <laughs> the life of the community must portray the gospel. So take heed to yourself, not only to, to, to the gospel. Don't only preach the gospel, participate in the gospel. And, and how, do you, how do you participate in the gospel? By applying the whole gospel to your whole life. Turn to your neighbor and say, apply the whole gospel to your whole life. <clears throat> you might not realize it, but that... That is the best advice you've gotten all year. <laughs> Apply the whole gospel to your whole life. L let me just give an example. Um, you know, on the one hand, if we don't understand the gospel and we think it's all about us, it's a, it's a, we make it like the Pharisees, a, a religion of doing what I must do as a pastor. Okay? then the responsibility of being a pastor is going to crush me. And I'm going to try and do too much, and I'm going to fail. And it's going to burden me and wear me down. Some people might say, well, okay, then I'm just not going to care so much. <laughs> then I'm just not going to try so hard. You know, I'm not going to care what people think. But then if you don't care what people think at all, you know, you're going to do too little. So, so if you don't understand the gospel, you're going to do too much or too little. But if you understand the gospel, you're going to love like you are loved. You're going to serve God's people like God himself in Christ Jesus has served you. Let me, let me take another one example. Um, if you don't know the gospel, you're going to care too much about what people think. Or you're going to care too little. 
You're going to care too much and you're going to be a people pleaser because you're going to get your fulfillment, your sense of accomplishment, your sense of, you know, I've justified my existence by pleasing people, by people patting you on the back and saying, well done, Stefan, you're the man, you know, that was a great sermon or, you know, you're such a great leader, you know, and you feel good about yourself. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you live for, you're going to be a people pleaser. And you're not going to be able to preach the gospel. You know, the other, you know, alternative is just to not care at all. To say, oh, well, I'm not going to care what people think. You know, I'm going to be all stoic and, you know, hard and, you know. But, you know, if you do that, if you, people who don't care what anyone else thinks, you know, are, are sociopaths or, or worse, psychopaths, you know. <laughs> they, they are the kind of people that don't care what anyone thinks. So you don't, don't go to those two extremes. But care primarily what the Lord thinks. Serve the Lord, and by serving the Lord, serve the people. I always think of myself as a butler in Jesus' house. And when people come and visit, I serve the people, but I'm not their servant. I'm the servant of the master of the house. But I serve them because the master of the house has called me as his servant to serve them. You see? And that's the gospel. I'll never be people's servant, but I'll always serve people. And only the gospel can give us that third way. Can you see how you need to apply all of the gospel to all of your life? I mean, th- those are just two silly examples, but, but they're actually very powerful. And it takes a lifetime to apply the gospel like this to your life. Um, let me just read some of those verses again and, and just show you some of the results of applying the gospel thus to your life. Um, if you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. You see, yeah, my example of being the Lord's butler, you know, being his servant. You know, there it is. Good servant of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to be. We're not called to be a servant of people. We're called to be a servant of Jesus Christ. But servants of Jesus Christ serve the people whom Jesus Christ loved and died for. Okay? Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. The teaching. Okay? Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Okay? In other words, by focusing on the right teaching, avoid the wrong teaching. And then he says, rather train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself in godliness. How? By applying all of the gospel to all of your life. And becoming more like Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. And he says, command and teach these things, the word, the message. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. In other words, don't only preach the gospel, command and teach these things, but live the gospel. Set an example of the gospel. Uh, and then he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. The message. Do not neglect the gift that is even you, uh, given to you, lay, um, uh, sorry, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. The messenger. Constantly is jumping between the message and the messenger. Be faithful to the message. 
be a messenger who actually lives the message. Okay? And then he says in, in that last part, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let me just read you one scripture just to reinforce that point um, on, on being a right messenger. In verse 15 of, of 2 Timothy 2, it says, do your, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best. Be diligent to do what? To please the people. To present yourself before the people approved. No. To present yourself to God as one approved. Live and minister for an audience of one. And then the, the audience, the rest of the audience will be saved. <laughs> but be diligent. Work hard. What? To do what? To present yourself to God as one approved. Rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. A messenger who rightly preaches the message and rightly lives the message. Okay, and then he says, um, by doing this you'll save both yourself and, and your hearers. Now it's multiplication. Message, messenger, multiplication. Um, and I just want to give you one verse on that, which I think is quite, which I think is quite powerful. Second Timothy 2, verse 1 to 3. Listen to this. It says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He must become the messenger who actually experiences the grace of the message. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the message, the gospel, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, what I want you to notice there is that Paul actually mentions four generations of disciples. He says, the message that, that I, Paul, that that I, Paul, gave to you, Timothy, I, Paul, one generation, to you, Timothy, another generation, and trust that to faithful men, a third generation, who will be able to teach others also, a fourth generation. Can you see the multiplication here? Can you see that the gospel is a self-perpetuating process? The gospel is a self-perpetuating process. It's a wildfire. As soon as it starts, it spreads everywhere. It's a contagious disease that <laughs> has a good effect. <laughs> it is a good disease, <laughs> but it's very contagious. And it goes from generation to generation. And we're supposed to infect each other with the gospel from generation to generation. Okay, I'm going to close with, with one more scripture um, that I just want to, to read. And then I'm done. I'm going to ask uh, Stefan and, and Lauren to come forward. Uh, this is 1 Timothy 6 from verse 11 just the last couple of verses it says but as for you O man of god flee these things pursue righteousness godliness faith love steadfastness gentleness fight the good fight of the faith take hold of eternal life to which you were also called and about which you made the good profession confession in the presence of many witnesses i charge you in the presence of god who gives life to all things, and of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who, is his, uh, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unsta unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the, at, at the proper time. 
He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen, has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, but to set their hope on, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, God the deposit entrusted to you, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of that of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Just one last comment. When it says grace be with you there at the end, the you there is plural. So the letter of 1 Timothy, and and the 2 Timothy also ends with grace to you, and the you is also plural. So in the beginning of 1 Timothy, it's, it's addressed explicitly to Timothy, my son Timothy, both 1 and 2 Timothy. Why does Paul say at the end of both letters, grace to you, plural? I think it's quite obvious, right? Because any charge to a Timothy or a Stephan is actually a charge to the whole church. In other words, what Stephan is ordained to do, we are all ordained to do with him. What I'm ordained to do as a pastor, you are all ordained to do with me. It's something that we can only do together as a community. And Timothy was only a leader in that community. And Stefan is only a leader in that community. And I'm only a leader in that community. But we cannot do it alone. It's only the community as a whole that can do it. That can put God's grace on display to the world. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.